Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. These words from Isaiah 9.1, which Matthew also repeats in our gospel lesson, point to the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. That apart from his light, people walk in darkness, in sin, following their own passions and desires, not looking for Christ, not looking to Christ for their righteousness, but looking elsewhere or maybe not looking at all, not even recognizing that they need a righteousness. To illustrate what the great light is, Isaiah, at the end of our reading today, uh, says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now, the day of Midian, for most people, is not going to quite ring the same way it would have been uh, heard by Matthew's hearers. And when he said the day of Midian, they understood exactly what he meant. So I want to kind of go backwards before we go forwards and just look at this. What does he mean by in the day of Midian? And it refers back to... um, the time of the judges when God raised up a judge, Gideon. You can read this in Judges 6. I'll read excerpts from Judges 6 where it describes the situation. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. This is the common theme of the the book of Judges. The people fall away into sin, they cry out, God turns them over to a foreign enemy who overtakes them and oppresses them. Feeling that oppression, they call out to God for deliverance, and God sends a judge or raises up a judge who delivers them. And this was the case with, with Gideon. The hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves of the strongholds. So they were like fleeing to the mountains. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza. And they would leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts. They're compared here to locusts. They would come basically and they were oppressing the Israelites. Now, in Judges 7, you move into the next chapter. The Lord raises up a judge, which is Gideon. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are... uh, Sorry, let me back up before I get to that. So he raised up Gideon to deliver the Israelites. And Gideon began and he destroyed uh, the the idols. and, um, And then at this point, God came to Gideon and said, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. So Gideon had formed an army. I mean, there were a lot of people. Um, there's too many uh, for, for me to give Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim to the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned. 
and 10,000 remained. So think about this. So Gideon has raised up an army of 32,000 people to go up against the Midianites. And God says, you know, if I were to give you victory, then you would be looking at yourselves and patting yourselves on the back and saying, good job raising up this army. We really crushed them. And I'm not going to have that. So uh, go ahead and release some of the people. And so 22,000 people left, and they're left with 10,000. Well, that's a formidable army still, I suppose. And that's what God says. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them there for you. I will test them for you there. And any of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. So all of the soldiers go down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. This is the foolishness of God's plans, right? 300 men? That's not going to cut it. So Gideon plus 300 men in human terms is, uh, is an army totally incapable of defeating the Midianites. That is the very point of this, that this is an earthly army that in no way, shape, or form could win the battle against the Midianites. So God has set them up in this position with Gideon uh, and 300 men. Uh, but... Why? Well, because God wants to know. When I do give you victory, you're going to know it wasn't Gideon and 300 men. It was God who fought for you. All right, so how does this battle plan unfold? Most of you already know it by this point. Gideon and the 100 men who were with him, now they, he divided the 300 into three different groups of 100, uh, came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. This is the camp of the Midianites. And they blew trumpets and smashed jars that were in their hands. And when the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars, they held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And then the army fled from there and the, the Israelites pursued them. And then they did, you know, they went into the, uh, and gathered up more Israelites and said, we've, you know, we've, we have defeated them, we're pursuing them and, and all that. But, but returning back to the end of Isaiah 9, uh, when I, uh, at the end of our lesson from today, when Isaiah says, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian, he is referring to this victory in which the power and the might of the Midianites was turned against itself. 
God turned the Midianites' swords against each other, and they killed each other before the remnant was eventually pursued by the Israelites. God's methods uh, here of turning the Midianites against Midianite are seen again in astonishing ways in his accomplishing of our salvation. And that's getting back to our gospel lesson. After all, it was Satan who filled Judas and led Jesus to the cross. And yet, in the cross, it was not Jesus who was conquered, but it was sin, it was death, and it was the devil that were conquered. The gospel lesson begins here with John being arrested. John's arrested. Uh Uh-oh. Jesus, well, the word flee is not in there. It's simply he withdrew. But Jesus withdrew and he went to Galilee. Galilee? What's Galilee? Uh, Jerusalem, as I said before, Jerusalem is salvation central. That's like the place where salvation occurs. It is in Jerusalem. What is in Galilee? Well, it's an old outpost. It's a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. Galilee is in the territory of the northern kingdom. You'll remember that the northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians, and they were dispersed and sent all over. Not like the southern kingdom. They were conquered by the Babylonians. They were taken into captivity, and then the faithful returned and came back to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem has a different legacy than the northern kingdom. Jesus is up there in Galilee in this outpost. So from a worldly perspective, it kind of looks like, uh uh-oh, things are not going well. This is the part of the the plot where, where the hero is down and out. No. No. Jesus is in exactly where he's meant to be. He is in Galilee. So this light... The light of Christ dawns for both Jews and Gentiles, just as Isaiah had prophesied. It is a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, which he specifically mentioned, which had been made a wasteland by this time, would see a great light. Think about it. This wasteland is being restored it's being, it's it's people walking in darkness being given the light of Christ. And the great light, what is this great light? Well, it's the message of Jesus, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Boy, we hear repent and usually what we think of is basically stop doing sin and be on your best behavior because the kingdom of heaven is near. That's not really what this means. Okay, so I want to clarify that. A better way to understand it would be Stop disbelieving, but believe. Stop disbelieving, but believe. For God with us, Emmanuel, the Messiah who has been promised God to be with us, he is present now. And the end times, the latter days, they have begun even now because Christ is here with us now. I mean, that's a mouthful. But that's basically what he's saying when he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying God is with us here and now. 
Do not disbelieve, but believe. Indeed, the kingdom of God comes in what ways? It's given in our gospel lesson right here. Jesus is preaching. He is teaching and he is healing. All of this, all of this activity of Christ's points to his messianic kingdom, which has, which had at this time arrived because he is there. And indeed, it is still reigning. His messianic kingdom is still reigning in the one holy apostolic church of which we are a part. Uh, Jesus healed. Think about his healing. All the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. Jesus healed them. And yet what happened to them? Well, I don't know. They grew to old age and then they died. Maybe some of them got sick the next year and died. But they died. So, so what do we see? Does that mean his healing was not effective? No, that's not the point. The purpose of his healing was, A, because he's compassionate. We, we, he has compassion. He has a, a hurt gut. That's the, the word that is used to describe Jesus' compassion for people. His gut hurts when he sees a person suffering. And so he has compassion, so he heals. But his healing points to who he is. That's ultimately the purpose and the driving force behind his healing is that it points to the fact that he is the Christ, the light that has come to a world of darkness. Healing pointed to the kingdom of heaven that is already here, and yet at the same time, not fully realized, not fully consummated. We live in a time of already and not yet. Jesus has come already. And yet he will come again, at which point he will consummate his kingdom. And it will be quite different. And yet we are living in a day where he has already come. We are living in the latter days. The power of Satan to condemn you to hell is crushed once and for all. It's done. Because Christ has come and has taken upon himself your sins. We live in a world that is groaning from the pain and suffering caused by sin. The world itself experiences the consequences of Adam's sin. For example, natural disaster, famine, pestilence. These are consequences of mankind's fall into sin. Yet the light of Christ has broken through this with, through this with a profound message. Just, just as Midian destroyed Midian, so too death destroyed death. The paradox of the cross, death destroyed death. Sin, the sin of crucifying our Lord and Savior is destroyed sin. Satan, just like Midianites killed themselves, each other, Satan has destroyed Satan. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus gave the apostles and thereby also the entire church the Great Commission. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Thus, Jesus commissioned the church to continue to usher in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus announced, remember, that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And by this announcement, he said, God is with you to save you from your sins. He demonstrated this by preaching and teaching and healing. And when he gave the great commission to the apostles and to the church, he said the same thing, that this is the kingdom of heaven, that they are to continue and to carry forward. Through the church, the ministry of word and sacrament continues. This is nothing, nothing less than the kingdom of heaven coming to you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand now, not tomorrow or next month or next year. It is present in here with you right now. Kingdom of heaven is at hand in the word preached because God promises to be there. Kingdom of heaven is at hand in the absolution Forgiveness of your sins because God promises to be there. Sealing that in your heart so that you know, wow, I have just been forgiven by God for all of my sins. That's the kingdom of heaven coming to you. That's God not being a far and distant God, but being here with you and in you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand in this very sacrament. Will you receive the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Not to condemn you, to forgive you of your sins. No matter what circumstances you may endure in this present age, do not ever be deceived into believing that God is far away or that God is distant from you. In Christ Jesus, God is with us and remains through us through word and sacrament, just as he has promised to do. Every one of you who has been baptized has been baptized into Christ. God doesn't ever take that baptism away. Oh, you can, you can walk away from the baptism. You can spurn and reject the gift of God, but he doesn't take it away. It's still there for you. This is why we make the sign of the cross and we remember and we return to our baptism every day, a life of daily repentance. It doesn't mean whipping ourselves for all the sins we commit. It means taking our sins and putting them on Christ. That's what that means. God has come near to us. The kingdom of heaven is at hand in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.